I think we are constantly balancing the urgent and the important. And in teaching, the urgent always wins out. You put out the immediate fire kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think <laughs> since the pandemic hit, the important is the urgent, right? The urgent is learning how to do this. I urgently need to learn how to uh, use this technology to engage with my kids. I urgently need to learn how to do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. What strategies can educators use in remote environments to increase learning capacity and promote student agency? What are the similarities and differences between what a language-rich classroom looks and sounds like in person versus virtually? How can routines support teachers and students as we transition back to in-person settings and begin to address what our guests call unfinished learning? We discuss these questions and much more in part two of our two-part series with Grace Kelamanic and Amy Lucenta, co-founders of Fostering Math Practices and authors of the book Routines for Reasoning. You can read their full bios in our show notes and on our ELL community page at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. And remember that Elevation has two L's. On the blog post associated with this episode, you'll also find some resources that Grace and Amy mentioned during this interview. And again, you can find that all on our community page. Here is part two of our two-part conversation with Amy Lucenta and Grace Kelamanic. I hope you enjoy it. Teachers right now, I mean, have so much on their plates. They're just like, as you both have, have mentioned a variety, and many times as we've talked, I mean, many are struggling with, with serious issues with stress and lack of sleep and too many responsibilities. I mean, things are, they're affecting their lives. Um, so given all these challenges, this is a tough question. I almost feel bad asking it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. H how can we ask them to learn new strategies to help, to help them address learning loss or what you all call unfinished learning, which by the way, I like as well. Sure. Uh, when, um, when I think about this question, I think often, often as a teacher, well, as humans in all of our work, I think we are constantly balancing the urgent and the important. And in teaching, the urgent always wins out. You know, like, well, there's PD happening after school today, but something happened in your class and now there's a meeting that has to take place. So you were late to PD, whatever. You know what I mean by, you know, you put out the immediate fire kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think... <laughs> Since the pandemic hit, the important is the urgent, right? The urgent is learning how to do this. I urgently need to learn how to uh, use this technology to engage with my kids. I urgently need to learn how to do this. So they're no longer as separated, I think, as they once were, or I'm teaching in my classroom and things are humming along and I can, I can pick up a new idea you know, in the summer or when I have time. I think right now everybody's got it, is working really hard because they have an immediate need. So I think teachers are absolutely stressed and, um, and I in many ways can't believe that they're all still standing. Um, but I think they're also just fiercely committed to doing what they can do. And Amy talked a little uh, bit briefly about um, a lot of our work being, instead of looking at big routines, looking at those 
five essential strategies, those smaller, more bite-sized, um, more quickly actionable pieces of them, strategies in them that teachers can put into their remote learning and routinize, whether that is the four R's or whether that's having a way or two that you do a turn and talk when you're working with kids via Zoom or uh, routinely building in sentence frames and starters into those visuals that are on the screen the kids are looking at while you're teaching the class. Like just routinely using these smaller bite-sized strategies that we know provide access and we know provide support for students. And so I think it's a question of grain size, like having something that's doable and the uptake is fairly quick and putting one thing in place and then pick up another one when you have the energy for it. Yeah. And I, and I think like, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, it's strange to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, like, or it's hard to express it. Teachers, at least in my experience, both as a teacher and, and working with colleagues for 17 years in a world that was very different and a lot easier to function in. I, I, I both, there's a part of me that wishes that I was teaching right now just so I could experience all this and like be with everybody working. But there's also a part of me that's like, I can't even imagine doing that and having a family and doing everything else. So there's a part of it where like, you have to do what you have to do for your students. You're, so, you're dedicated. So you're going to learn what you need to learn to do it. That's what teachers do. But I think there's a part that people miss, which is like, how can we make the job easier? Is there something that can just make it easier and more efficient? And that doesn't necessarily take away from your dedication. And I think you might be getting to that a little bit, like, but we, there's this, like, there's almost like this, uh, this fear of saying it, like, can we make your life easier in any way? It's almost like this, I don't know whether it's this like martyr thing that we have or whatever it is that teachers are going to work hard and they're going to go through everything no matter what. But if you take something simple like the four hours or another routine that works and it's working every day and you can just use it and you don't have to add all these new things to your plates, I think that's important. So I guess what I'm saying is like it can be advertised and sort of marketed. Uh, that's probably the wrong word for teachers, but as something, hey, this is going to work for your students. It's going to work for you. And guess what? It's going to make your life easier and it's simple and it's fast. It's just, it's hard. sometimes it's hard because you go to these PD sessions sometimes and there's all this stuff thrown at you and there's something coming from the district that you have to do and it's another thing on your plate. So I don't know, maybe that's an element of it. Have you seen, I guess I'll follow that up with a question. I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but have you seen sort of the light bulbs go on and, and teachers report back to you and say, hey, I use this routine and it really made my life a lot easier and I use it every day now and it was simple? Yeah, I would say um, there's certainly, when we're working with teachers over time, there are certainly things like whether it's the four R's or using sentence frames and starters or annotation, whatever, like one of those smaller strategies for sure. Um, we've been working a lot with teachers around the three reads. Um, uh, one of our routines uh, is a way to help kids learn how to read and interpret math problems so they can um, so they get some traction into them and can work on them productively on their own. And that routine has been, um, as we say in Boston, wicked helpful mm -hmm. uh, to a lot of teachers because ki kids are at a distance and so much of what they're doing sometimes is on their own. So we can build students' capacity to feel confident and capable 
of reading and interpreting a problem and getting started on their own, that's an amazing thing. So we've, we worked with a bunch of teachers in a bunch of different districts around that. And um, when we do, you know, we sort of are, are having them engage in the routine like they would have their students. Like we're doing it through Zoom and we're putting them in breakout rooms or having them, you know, turn and talk with a partner on a, a common Google doc that they're writing into and we're looking at it. So they're, they're experiencing those designs for interactions that are happening um, remotely while they're learning the routine. And then afterwards we can talk about that and they can inevitably what happens is we start talking about it and then they start saying, well, how do we do it? Because we use Google Classroom or we use Seesaw mm -hmm. or we use, you know, they start throwing out the names of whatever technologies they're using. And then the chat blows up because there are teachers who have experience and know how to do it and connections are made. And so they're amazing support for each other. And I am not even sure where I ended in my answer, Steve, was it the question you asked? Yeah, no, I, I think, it, <laughs> you know, because uh, I because I threw your curveball, um, which is totally fair. Uh, but I think. No, I think you you totally answered the question. I mean, it, it's you gave me some examples of you talked about the three reads and how that was something that teachers were able to run with and implement. And I think the ending was the really interesting part in that teachers are bought buying into using it, but the stumbling block or the challenge may be, well, you're using Zoom and I use Google. How do we make that? And then what you said, the response to that usually is that there are teachers, that's where we can crowdsource, who have the experience doing something similar in a different tool. So again, the tool isn't at the center of what we're talking about. It's the pedagogy. Right. And there's a way to do it in, with so many different tools. Mm -hmm. But it's great that you're bringing that up because we can't ignore that. Like that's a challenge for a lot of people and it's a legitimate challenge. Hi everyone. I'm Teddy Rice, president and co-founder of Elevation. The Highest Aspirations podcast was created to keep you informed and inspired around the issues that matter most to the students you serve. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how we can help strengthen your EL program. Reach out to us anytime at info at elevationeducation.com to set up a time to chat. Now, back to highest aspirations. Okay, let's let's turn our attention toward the future. We could We could sit and talk about the present all day, but let's think about now that we're in 2021 here, it's a year after we did our first episode together, we're hopefully looking toward what uh, might be better times or different times. Um, what do you think our collective focus needs to be uh, to address learning loss, or again, what you call unfinished learning, particularly as it relates to English learners and math classes, um, and how these routines might further support uh, teachers and students when we return? It's a great question, Steve. I think it is heavily on teachers' minds that we right now are pushing through and muddling through and doing the best we can with what we have. And in an ideal world, we are all back together in person with full classes in September. And that, that may not happen, but that's the ideal world. And even in that ideal world, we'll have students in front of us that we don't know what they've learned how they've learned it, whether they were in person, whether they were at home, how much they engaged, how well they did, how accurate their assessments were. So teachers are gonna have a bit of detective work in the fall. And they, they uh, I believe, will need to do a great deal of, of formative assessment, figuring out what kids know and understand and what they're able to articulate 
And they're gonna have to do that while they're teaching. So it can't be a let's stop and do three days of standardized tests and if you got this wrong, we'll put you in this track. It's not like that, it's more, they're thinking about these ideas in this way. And I need to work with uh, 26 or 32 kids in my class. And of those 32 students, I might put them in 14 different categories. And so if we try to splice things so small, it's just not gonna work. And I think the, the most powerful way to address unfinished learning is to leverage the mathematical practices to really focus on mathematical thinking and reasoning. Because if you can reason quantitatively, if you can reason structurally, then you might be able to approach something you're not so sure of the content and you might be able to reason around it. Um, the only example, I've, it, it reminds me of speaking a foreign language when you talk around an idea and you get to the end. Circumlocution, yeah, I used to teach that yeah. all the time. Is that what it's called in English? Yeah, yeah. I only know it in French. <laughs> yeah. Parler autour, I'm gonna talk around it. So, um, so I think you can do that in mathematics if you have the thinking and reasoning to do it. In addition, if you're teaching these if you're teaching the thinking and reasoning through the instructional routines, the it, it allows the teacher to hear from a whole bunch of students because they listen to kids talking. So they hear how kids are thinking. And the routines allow for open-ended thinking so students can enter in from different places. So all of these characteristics I'm naming, I'm kind of um, packaging into the, the routines will answer a lot of these questions or challenges to focus on mathematical thinking, to hear from a wide range of students to allow for multiple entry points, to teach in multimodal ways, to develop the language and the thinking, and to give kids the tools to work around what they don't know. And that, that I think is gonna be the most powerful uh, way to, to address unfinished learning, unless you're, you're siloing kids and tracking them in 26 different ways based on what they know, understand, don't understand their prior experience, like all of the, the fractures from this year. And one of my real concerns is that we're creating more inequity this year and that the haves have more and the have-nots have less. And that, that's, that's a bigger picture concern with unfinished learning that districts who haven't been in person at all uh, have a different challenge ahead of them than districts who, who have an idea of what their students have been doing at home. Yeah. I mean, the, I would go back and just listen to the last two, three minutes of what you said, Amy. I think it's all really important. The only thing I would stress in it that I've been hearing from a lot of people is this, this, the importance of the, the formative assessment. And then you talked a lot about just getting, hearing different students' voices. Um, and I love the circumlocution piece and I love the, how it relates to math. And I wish I could have been able to do that with math. Like I did it with language back when I was learning, but, um, but those are all some, some really great uh, examples you know, like that, that we, we've talked a lot about both in this conversation and last one and the last one about the ability to hear from lots of different students and lots of the routines are set up so that um, it can give the students those uh, the, the freedom to kind of concentrate on those more important matters rather than worrying about what am I supposed to be doing today? What question will I be asked next? Um, and how will it, today's lesson work? Uh, and and these are all kind of... Uh, Paraphrasing from from the routines for reasoning book, 
and you know, I, I want to go back to there was a, there was a um, there was a comparison to learning to drive uh, that I mentioned in the last podcast we did. So at the risk of 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 sounding repetitive, Chris, I'd love you to kind of rehash that that learning to drive metaphor that you used and sort of tie it into this new model of learning that we're seeing now, which is remote or hybrid. Then maybe like to, to to keep thinking about the future, how you see that kind of moving forward in the future. Well, we're getting very meta here, aren't we? Well, you wrote uh, it, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm. I, ooh, let me see if I can uh, if I can do this clearly. What you well, first off, as you started talking, I immediately had images of my of my daughter because when we were talking last, it was fairly recent. She was fairly new to driving when last we had our podcast with you. So I was still feeling the anxiousness of being in a car with a new driver who was like not attending to all the things she needed to be attending to because there was just so much happening. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm gonna interrupt you for one sec because this is funny. Like um, my, my daughter just got her license like a month and a half ago. So we're in this, I'm in the same position that you were last time we talked. Yeah, so this, this yeah. is, uh, I'm, I'm in that world where it's a yeah. little bit of anxiety. Yeah, and not. And now I'm tempted to, I don't know, maybe it's because we're in the Boston area and, you know, Tom Brady is, you know, still revered here by most, I hope. Um, you know, but we just had the Super Bowl, right, with Tom Brady, the man who's been playing quarterback for a gazillion years and, you know, the goat. And then we have the kid. We have the new young guy who's an amazingly skilled physical quarterback, Mahomes. And the distinction that the sporting pages were all drawing between the two of them is like, Brady can't run. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the youth. Like he's older, but what he has is the routine of being a quarterback. He can, is, he can just look and at a minute's notice, at a glance, he can see the patterns in front of him. He knows the routines that are ingrained in him. And so that frees up his brain space to watch what's happening with the other team and he can make those decisions. And I could argue that Patrick Mahomes is building those routines of a quarterback. And so he's still trying to think about a lot of other things. And Brady can, has, you know, can just concentrate and make quicker, seemingly quicker decisions, I would argue, because there's a lot of stuff he doesn't have to think about. He just does it routinely. Um, so, so there's Matt. So there's one. But I think we've actually watched this happen to teachers over the last nine months. When they first started teaching remotely or hybrid, it was a brand new way of teaching. Even very um, established, practiced uh, teachers were, it was almost as if they were new teachers in their first year of teaching again. I heard that all the time, yep. Right, this is like first year of teaching again. I just, there's so many things to think about. And Amy and I feel the same way when we do professional development, things we can do with our eyes closed in person. Now, like we really have to pay attention to and get all the links right and do all. Um, and we are, the more we do it, the more it becomes routine for us and the more we free up our brain space. So I'm just a fan of just routines in general. And I think um, in many ways, the notion of using routines in the classroom, um, I think going forward into 2021, I think teachers can really feel that because they've, every one of them has just gone through a year where they've experienced what it's been like for something to not be routine in September and then begin to get routine by the end of the year. Um, 
So again, I, I think I answered a different question, but um, no, you just use a complexity. Different like the routines are uh, the routines to simplify a complex world right now. Whether it's complex because you're thrown into a new way of teaching, or complex because you're in the Super Bowl and you've not seen these plays before, like whatever it is, driving. Um, they simplify our lives. I, th I think it's a great way to explain it. And I kept thinking about kind of the expert and the novice, right? Like the expert, like you said, in this case, Tom Brady can see those patterns. They're like ingrained. They just, it just appear. I don't know if um, any of you have seen the Queen's Gambit, but like, I think of the, yes. the yeah. chessboard above, it's just there, yeah. right? It's in great yeah. that for some reason for her, it was just, it was in her, but yeah. for most people it has to come with routine and it comes with practice and then you see it. Um, you don't have to think so much about it. So it, it reduces that cognitive load and compensates for the fact that maybe you're quote unquote old and can't run as much for an English learner. Maybe that means you don't have the language skills, right? So you're, but you have the routines, it's, it's reduced. Um, and, and I just think, you know, so it's a great way to kind of get you to that expert level. So just, there's just so many, I think, pieces we could tie in here with learning theory that, which I think is awesome because it just shows that, um, that it's not just, this isn't something that's just conjured, right? We think about routine. And again, I've said it a bunch of times, routine seems like a very simple word, but there's a lot more to it um, than that. So I want to wrap up with, with, with a question that may sound like I'm kind of going back to the beginning here, but I, I think I want to tie it into the future as well that we've been talking about. And that is, you know, you both have talked a lot about the importance of, of language and practicing language and hearing from students. What does a lang language rich classroom look and sound like in a remote environment. And I'm going to add something to this. How is that going to influence what it looks like moving forward when we go back? So a, a language rich classroom, I think has a lot of the same features in a remote world that it does in an in-person world. A language rich classroom has students doing the talking you can see residue of language around the room or on the screen. And uh, the, for, for us, that, that language is focused on mathematical thinking. And in a remote world, in some ways, a, langu a language rich classroom might be you drop into a Zoom class and no one's there because they're all in breakout rooms. And when you drop into a breakout room, there's some way that students have a common workspace so they can com communicate on it. They can talk to each other. That's the ideal. Some, some districts aren't allowing breakouts for students. Um, and breakouts are a little clunkier. They take, a, they take a little bit of time for students to go and come back, but they're getting, dare I say, more routine and therefore more seamless for both teachers and students. Um, if, if students aren't in breakouts, then a language-rich classroom may, may look like them doing a lot of the four Rs in a full group discussion with a visual in front of them that has language accompanying it. Um, it also could look like students in a, well, as a side note, Grace and I should, should, be, should mention that we're pretty simple when it comes to technology. So all of the adaptations that we've done to facilitate mathematical discourse remotely have been fairly simple, dare I say. That's uh, not a bad thing. It's not, it's helpful for teachers. And in one, for one reason, it's because 
um, we're working with teachers all over the place in with different resources and different systems and platforms. But what we found is students can be on a Google slide and be able to talk to each other through just typing onto the Google slide together, have a conversation. And yes, it's not verbal, it's written, but that's still a language rich classroom. Uh, we are very interested in um, the type to text features in Google. And that's a next step for us is to play with that and how that can support a language rich classroom as well. So uh, ultimately it's gonna look like kids doing the talking and the talking centered around thinking. And we see that in a variety of ways. We hear it in a physical classroom. And there's another question if you asked about remote um, and I'm contrasting it with in-person. But there's also another question about when we go back in into classrooms together and we're six feet apart, what does that look like for language rich and how do we support a six foot distance conversation with masks on so it's a little more difficult to hear and what we've heard from teachers obviously they're not letting us into their classrooms right now, but um, that you know supporting the conversation with the whiteboard in each student's hand is helpful so that if if the, if the communication is difficult, they have another mode to communicate. So in all those ways, that, that's what it'll look like and sound like. Yeah, and you know, it. you talked about this, the six foot distance and the masks, and this is a, not, again, another conversation for another time, but what about the students who are thriving in a remote environment and wanna stay there? What does it mean for them? How do you keep them all together? How do you get them to converse with the students in school? There's a lot, I think a lot to learn. And then, you know, you mentioned the type to text, which is just one of many just built in accessibility tools on devices that weren't designed for English learners or math, but can be used very effectively for it. Same with the Google slide example. And again, I'll reference that conversation I had with Katie Gardner. She was just full of, uh, of so many ideas that would work for really any subject, any grade. And they're just these built-in tools that you don't think, you don't, first of all, you don't even know exist. And second, you don't think to use them in a particular application. So, uh, and, and those can all work to, to kind of um, get at the question that I ask you, which is what does a language rich classroom look like? Okay, two more questions that you're both familiar with because I've asked you them before. Um, I asked you back in January and I did look back at my notes at what you, at what you sat, uh, said. And so I, forgive me, but you may say the same thing and I won't even know. Um, a book or resource that has um, influenced you either personally or professionally? Yeah. <laughs> so it, Amy's going to laugh at me when I say this because um, I was blindsided by Amanda Gorman when I, you know, the um, National Youth Poet Laureate. So these days, I find myself listening to reading, rereading uh, The Hilly Climb, which is the poem that she gave at the inauguration, but all of her other, all of her other, um, all of her other poems. And, I, and so this is not an answer, like this is an educational book for you, but in many ways it is, right? Like in many ways, it's the position we're in now where we just, I don't know, um, what does she say? There's always light if only we can see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Like I totally did not say that right, but you know what I mean? Like we just have to keep working at things. And that's what I find myself 
reflecting on and reading now again and again. Um, and it helped that she read it, read another poem at the Super Bowl. It helped yeah. that she did read another poem at the Super yeah. Bowl, right? Yeah. Right. I was but, I was um, also blindsided. That's a good way to put it. I couldn't believe I was I had, I had the inauguration on while I was kind of working and I was barely listening or paying any attention. And she came on. And I just heard the first word. I put everything down. I was just like, that's just amazing. So I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that. Yeah. And she I think I, we've talked about this before, um, Amy and I, um, you know, she has um, she struggles with a, a uh, with speech like there are just certain letters that haven't been part of them sounds that haven't been part of her uh, spoken word and she's worked really hard to change that but she talked very eloquently about how that thing that could be seen as a challenge just forced her to communicate in other ways like with her hands and with her expressions and with her bodies and just finding other ways to be heard to be seen and be heard and I think as teachers we we have to find other ways in our teaching, right? And we have to help students find other ways to be seen and be heard. And so we have an inspiration. Maybe you can get her on your next podcast and invite us back. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. When we first when we first started the 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 podcast, I think um, our our one of our co-founders, Teddy Rice, was said to me, What's it what what's the chance you can get Lynn Manuel Miranda on there? <laughs> Set your sights high, and now it's Amanda Gorman. So, if you all are listening, I'll, I'll still I'll still be happy to have both of you on. <laughs> all right, Amy, what about you? Well, when I think about math and L's, and I was actually trying to rack my brain to remember what I said last time, but Udeep Moscovich's work was was pivotal for me. It uh, it actually educated me then and continues to guide me now. So if I was looking for a resource and it, and her, her thinking is just still spot on, it still applies to remote learning. So I would encourage folks to check out her work and her papers. And then it's weird because Grace and I didn't talk about this ahead of coming on no. today, but we're both answering in a like, and this is on my mind now. Um, the book I am about to begin is called, We Wanna Do More Than Survive, Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom by Bettina Love. And one of the reasons I'm committing to reading that next is because of the, the fear that I shared with you earlier about the equity gap mm -hmm. growing larger. And I wanna be fully equipped to respond to that in the best way that I can. Um, so, so that's why I've heard great reviews and I'm excited to read it. And maybe on our third podcast, I'll let you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it that you're already looking ahead to the future. That's great. And if it's, if it, if this year uh, goes by as fast as the last one, then that will seem like tomorrow when that happens. So um, it's just incredible how fast time has gone by. Um, all right. So last question, um, how can people learn more about the work that you are doing, the books, the resources, the PD, all the good stuff? We try our best to have an online presence. So we have a website, fosteringmathpractices.com. And that's where all of our current, um, our our current thinking is, uh, I won't say we're great at updating it, but we try to put where we are and what we're offering on there. And of course, our announcement for our second book will be on there. Um, we, we've offered over the course of the pandemic, a bunch of smaller learning opportunities for teachers. 
And we're fine, we're, we're figuring out the right balance as we've talked about how overwhelmed teachers are. We marvel that they continue to want to learn more because like, I just think I'd be saturated if I were them. And yet we're finding that little webinars, smaller chunks of experiences are hitting teachers right, right where their needs are. Like give me a little something to chew on and I can go apply it. So we're offering some of those. Um, people can learn about the work we're doing always at, at the national conferences, NCTM and NCSM, the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics and NCSM is like Prince. It, it, it doesn't really go by its original name, <laughs> um, but it's for leaders. It used to be supervisors, but it's not. So I don't know what to call it, but um, they're all virtual, which is awesome because again, hashtag COVID silver lining, a lot of folks can attend these conferences that previously couldn't because they don't have to travel. And so there's, there's lots of ways people can learn more. Great. Well, you just provide us with a lot of resources, books, and places people can go to learn more. Um, again, we've just sort of scratched the surface of, of this uh, topic in this conversation, but um, I try to I try to let people know that the, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire and for people to take next steps. And so I hope people will um, take a look at some of the resources that you all just mentioned. And with that, um, Grace Kellermanic and Amy Lucenta, pleasure to have you both on again. And we've already decided, or Amy already decided that we're going to do a third one. So we will, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch about that. And I'll, I'm going to put you on the hook for that. So I, I will appreciate in advance you coming on again. But for this um, time, I'm very grateful. And for the last time, I'm very grateful um, and appreciative of the work that you do on behalf of math teachers who are uh, working really hard to support all students, including those English learners that we talk about in the podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 